the tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. When I said to my family that I knew better what I wanted to do in my life, you know, I got kicked, uh, you know, to the curb, you know. So go go outside and go, you know, be a boxer or stay here in Africa. You can, you know, there's plenty of people to box here. <laughs> and obviously Paris was the uh, the capital and uh, where everything that was uh, that had to do with entertainment, uh, you know, was happening. So I moved to, I went to uh, to Paris. But you had nothing going on. Well, obviously, I knew no, nobody in Paris, and uh, so I spent uh, about a year in Paris until this uh, amazing uh, fashion designer, Thierry Mugler, uh, I was sent to um, to meet. I met his assistant, and uh, immediately it was like, oh, wait, put this on. I'll be back. And ran with my book. Couple of photos were just uh, in this uh, portfolio, and came back and say, "Okay, put this on. Come with me." Took me to see Tia Mingler, and Tia Mingler is in the room with a couple, few, few other people, and they're just braving how he was looking for somebody like me. And here I come! Wow, this, and we're doing this trip, and we're doing that trip, and we're going here with the Iman, Katusha. You know, all those great uh, top models back then. That was that. Jaimin Honsu is one of the great actors of our time because he's got this deep, quiet, burning intensity inside him that I love to watch. This man was homeless in Paris at one point of his life, and now he's shining. He's one of the stars of A Quiet Place Part 2. An intense new movie that's just dropping. So check it out. It's Jaimin Hansu on Toure Show. I mean, you have always been this actor who just sort of like just burns through the celluloid. And like, just has all this presence, oh, and you well, just thank stand you. out so much. Just even just walking down the street, how do you do that? I don't know if uh, it's something you do necessarily. I don't. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit speechless, but. Uh, um, Hmm. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I mean, some people, I'll come back to that question later. Some people later. talk about being in the moment when they're shooting or when they're on stage helps right. create some of that level of presence. Right. Is it about really pouring yourself into the moment and the character that, that what I read as... Yes... It's some of that, but obviously, as you know, uh, the interpreter, we are the interpretation of that, you know, we are the instrument of interpretation, basically. Uh, so therefore, a little bit of it's going to be left in you, and suddenly uh, the essence of you going to be left in so many of the characters you play. Yeah. I mean, I always believe you 100%. Of like you fully are, you know, like you erase mm-hmm. the person that I know of, and yeah. I'm like, and in that moment, I truly believe that I am that person. I am that uh, sort of person, you know, uh, character that I'm, uh, you know, like in Blood Diamond. There was not one moment that I felt like uh, this was not happening to me. Uh, in uh, Amistad, it's no mo- one moment where I didn't sort of like. Um, feel the uh, the strength of my uh, ancestors, you know, still resonating, uh, you know, through me portraying that character. And so I would say that some of those characters are uh, 
culturally um, and socially strong, you know, extremely relevant to me. So therefore, the you know, this speaks of my values. This speaks of my uh, me as a you know human being. They define me. Those characters. I imagine in something like Amistad, it would be it would be quite painful to really embrace that and live in that character. He was going through so much. Well, yeah, of course he was going through so much. Wow. One couldn't even, I mean, none of us could even imagine or come close to enduring some of those things that uh, they've had, you know, that they've had to endure. Me today, you know, obviously things are a little bit better, you know. Obviously, I'm somewhat doing what I like, and um, somewhat getting compensated for that. So, I would say that uh, it would seem like my, you know, life today for some of us a lot better. But you still. In so many areas, you still feel like a second-class citizen, even with a celebrity. Uh, you do, in still. Status. Oh, for sure. Where? <laughs> even here in New York City sometimes. Because you're coping with people who don't really quite understand yet that the, uh, the, the, the importance of, um, and certainly does not understand that we're all part of a human race. That one race is a human race, not shade race. Yeah. So you feel, you know, you still feel like, uh, you know, uh, you, you're existing in a world where certain people feel so much more privileged than you are, you know, that they, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I definitely know what you feel. Is that about America? Do you feel it in Europe too? or Extremely is it in Europe too. I mean, some of our brothers are playing on, uh, you know, national television, uh, you know, on, you know, national stages, you know, and being called monkeys. Yeah. I mean, come on, please. Yeah. In this day and age. Yeah. And by the forefathers. And I feel like you take that weight into your work and into your because characters. all that weight uh, is part of weight that we um, if you're socially conscious the weight that you carry the dignity that you bring to your characters is partly from that weight um, does it does it come from that weight does it combat that in any way uh, it may have resonance in some of those um, characters that I play. Yeah, it may, it may, it may have resonance in that, whether I want it or not. Because, again, like I said, I'm, you know, you you are the instrument of interpretation. Some of you are going to be left in some of the characters you play. You know, because at the end of the day, it's your voice that is used and your likeness that is used to for the interpretation. I mean, think about the way that even Sidney Poitier, um, mm -hmm. you know, Harry Belafonte mm -hmm. helped Americans see the beauty and dignity of a black man um, and chip away just a teeny bit at some of it. Is that something that you're, you think you're able to do to present? Oh, for sure. Well, I, I'm trying, and obviously you're challenged on a regular basis. I mean, again, you, you know, I live in a world that I'm... Uh, you know, somebody obviously signs my check. But let me put it this way. Um, so you're offered certain roles and the roles obviously You had to remember that from beginning of time, we were not considered as people. So the roles you play now, the roles that are kind of, uh, you're tolerated. Mm. 
you tolerate to be considered human sometimes. Do you think it's the same for us? Because I feel like I feel what you're saying, but do you feel like as an African-American, I have a, a privilege or a position that an African uh, may not enjoy it? Do you think you're being looked at differently as an African versus an African-American? For sure. Are you asking me if uh, African-Americans look at me differently? No, I'm saying all people, black and white. For sure. Look at you differently than me. Yes. How so? Because Africans are probably the, uh, the, the most disrespected race, uh, you know, in the whole um, idea of uh, human race. They're the most disrespected human being. And you're by African-Americans as well. I'm just trying to be honest. Yeah. But because you don't, you, 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 you have lost connection. Yeah. We have lost touch. We have lost touch. We have lost connection with one another, right? And so therefore you sort of don't really see yourself as part of me anymore. I do. Well, I mean, well, yeah, some you don't, do, some do. do, yeah, some do and some don't. But uh, I'm saying in general, and this is one of the reasons why I was so compelled to uh, uh, to find a, a, an instrument for which um, Africa and the diaspora can somewhat find a connection between, you know, and say, oh, my DNA, you know, because more and more, I mean, like, everybody and anybody who lives in America and who is from America, no matter whether it's first generation or second generation, you're from someplace else. Yeah. Your DNA is from someplace else. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Your journey here 
to being mm-hmm. an American superstar is uh, unexpected. It sounds like it would be a movie in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, it is. How did you get from Benin mm-hmm. to France? Um, I, I had had two brothers that were five, and I'm the youngest of uh, five. So I had had two brothers, to the two, the first two oldest brothers that went on an adventure, you know, uh, living in Ivory Coast, you know, from Benin going to Ivory Coast, and from Ivory Coast uh, moved to uh, uh, Paris, ventured to, to Paris, and end up staying in Paris, both of them, uh, and having a life. And one of them obviously became French. And uh, so, you know, I was the youngest, and uh, uh, they were... Most of them all completely grown and, you know, left the house. And so I guess the, my oldest brother, who was actually doing really well, you know, uh, for himself, uh, you know, at a very young age, uh, thought of, uh, wow, we have a younger brother who's not, who is here in Africa. The parents live in Ivory Coast. I'm in Benin. The brothers all lives in uh, France. Who are you living so, with? I'm, li- I'm living with the uh, uh, grandparents and um, uh, older brother, and so one. So the older brother just thought, "Oh, well, why don't you go and see? Stay with your other brother to better your education in France." Yeah. How old were you? I was 12 years old, and um, so the first time I was sent to France, I mean, let's just say I was. Uh, um, <laughs> um, I was deported on the on the spot. <laughs> I uh, twelve years old. I arrived in uh, France, Lyon. That was the first time was Lyon, uh, straight from. Uh, uh, yeah, it was Lyon. So landed in Lyon, and then I was like told uh, I have to go back. <laughs> so you and go so back. They turned me right around the spot and, uh, and you- sent me back. And so eventually, they uh, my family came and got me from. Uh, the police station in at the airport uh, in uh, in Benin, and then uh, a few months later, my brother got another ticket for me. <laughs> he said, "No, no, 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 no! You're not staying here. Let's go. Let's go to Paris. Yeah, let's go to Paris now." So I went. I, I came through the, uh, Paris the second time and uh, and uh, stayed. But it didn't immediately work out as as expected. Uh, no, of course not. I mean, of course. I mean, listen, I was, uh, you know, growing up with my, uh, you know, sort of been uh, uh, overseen uh, by uh, my two older brothers. One of them was married with a kid. The other one wasn't. So they both, you know, obviously had a conflict. Who's going to, you know, who am I going to stay with? And so, uh, let's just say one of them took me and... Uh, and he's the one who didn't have a wife or whatever, so he lived uh, in Lyon. So I went back with him in Lyon and lived with uh, in a uh, Chambre de Bonne, as we say in French. Uh, you know, it's pretty much kind of like a, uh, the maid maid's room. You know? Okay. You know? Okay. That's sort of like it's sort of like a, as uh, this room is almost too big for it, but a little closet. Two, yeah, two third of this room, pretty much, and. Um, we have to go to he he uh, he was going to school at a university, so we go we went to the school and university to shower every day and uh, yeah, and so that's how I lived for the first uh, I said probably eight years in Paris. I mean uh, in Lyon. But you become homeless at some point, and then well then uh, you know fast forward to uh, you know. Uh, growing up in France and thinking that I knew better, and I thought, well, okay, listen, uh, you know, I know what I'm going to do in life, and uh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and, you know, so I was doing a lot of sports also. So one of my brothers also knew that I was, uh, you know, heavy in boxing, and so we used to have, you know, discussions, uh, and so I used to sometimes uh, contemplate the idea of uh, boxing, and then he just went on... uh, yeah, I was fairly good to a point where they wanted to yeah, push me, you know, uh, to go professional. But uh, my brother told that the rest of the family and everybody went off. I mean, like pissed off. And uh, so I eventually sort of like uh, uh, 
stepped away from that. But my the, the, the ultimate dream was always making movies anyways. Really? Yeah, since I was uh, eight years old, probably uh, eight to 10 years old. What did you see that made you say, that's for me? Uh, no, I we in Africa, uh, Wednesday afternoon, we uh, leave, uh, uh, midday we leave school, right? We are half, it's a half a day, right? So half a day, that Wednesday afternoon is always so eventful for us, you know, kids. And we used to collect like, and there were like uh, detergent packages, uh, empty packages that, you know, if you collected uh, five of them will give you a, a ticket to a screening, you know, from the, the theater of the, 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 the city at the time. That was called Vogue. I remember Vogue would be so packed all the way to the bathrooms, all the way to the street, and you would hear just the sound of the, 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 the movie. And it was just basically generally cowboy films that they were playing, you know. And so all you could hear, it's uh, the, uh, uh, the spurs on the shoes, like, you know, walking and the shotguns and, you know, those are the things that you'll hear is only, you know, American, uh, you know, uh, uh, language spoken. And uh, it was quite, it was quite cool. And it was, uh, it was, you know, we were looking at uh, Gary Cooper, you know, uh, those kind of, uh, you know, type of... uh, John Wayne. uh, John Wayne, those Mm -hmm. type of actors uh, and glorifying uh, America, you know, it was just unbelievable. It was a world uh, apart, you know. And uh, we used to fun- fantasize about that. I think my 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 fantasies uh, came from there. So like, I want to be like Gary Cooper and John Wayne. Yeah, it was just uh, yeah, it was just unbelievable uh, that image of uh, you know uh, the way the man is shot, also from you know down looking up, and he just looks so massive, so imposing, which you know, a shotgun on the side. And, I mean, it was just just impressive. It was the Wild Wild West, I guess, but I didn't know it was you know. Fast forward to today, that I would find myself in America, you know, making I'm, movies. I mean, I grew up watching movies and idolizing those sort of people, and I didn't think, well, I could do that. I thought, my God, yeah. these people seem godlike. Well, I don't know if I really thought about whether I could do that or not do that. I just thought, wow, it's unbelievable to be in movies. And you can pretend being like fully yourself, you know, existing with all. Yeah. But you were homeless in Paris for a, for a period of time. Well, uh, when I said to my family that I knew better what I wanted to do in my life, you know, I got kicked, uh, you know, to the curb, you know. So go go outside and go, you know, be a boxer or stay here in Africa. You can, you know, there's plenty of people to box here. <laughs> and so, um, mind you, um, uh, the story is a little bit complex because I was sent to, to back to Africa to sort of answer to my uh, parents. So as I landed, uh, everybody obviously upset, and uh, you know, it was just like the idea was that you're gonna stay here. You've, uh, you know, it was, almost seems like I've committed some crime in Europe, or you know. So now you're home, and we're not, uh, you know, we're not gonna tolerate this. We, we didn't send you there to sort of like have all these crazy fantasies and wanted to be a boxer and wanted to be an actor off. <laughs> so I got kicked to the curb. I went back to Paris and sort of found myself, uh, you know, uh, homeless. And then, um, and so, sorry, I went back to Lyon. And then from Lyon, I just said, well, I'm not going to stay in Lyon. Obviously, this is where I grew up, and I certainly don't want to run into some of the friends that I've, you know, gone to school with. So I might switch to uh, switch the city, you know. And obviously, Paris was the... Uh, the capital and uh, where everything that was uh, that had to do with entertainment, uh, you know, was happening. So I moved to I went to uh, to Paris. But you had nothing going on. Well, obviously, I knew no, nobody in Paris, and uh, so I spent uh, about a year in Paris until this uh, amazing uh, fashion designer Thierry Mugler. Uh, I was sent to um, uh, to meet and. Uh, met his assistant and, uh, 
immediately it was like, oh, wait, put this on, I'll be back. And ran with my book. A couple of photos were just uh, in this uh, portfolio and came back and said, okay, put this on, come with me. Took me to see Thierry Mingler and Thierry Mingler is in the room with a couple, few, few other people and they're just braving how he was looking for somebody like me and here I come, wow, this, and we're doing this trip and we're doing that trip and we're going here with the Iman, Katusha, you know, all those great uh, top models back then. Lawrence Cart, bless her soul. Uh, yeah, that was that. How did you get from Moogler world and modeling into acting? Oh, uh, into acting. Um, well, first of all, uh, the modeling was pure accident. So it was acting that I was looking for when I got into modeling, you know. And so from there, I uh, I went on a trip with uh, Thierry Moogler to... Los Angeles and to a place called Alamogordo in New Mexico. Uh, and it was an area where we shot some, um, you know, some photos. It was an amazing place, uh, sand dunes. It was just like a, an amazing uh, site of a, a place that is just full of sand dunes, you know, white sand dunes crystal white it's beautiful but anyways so that was my uh first time coming to america and uh i uh, obviously went to hollywood and uh, discovered uh i went to los angeles and discovered hollywood and i was like wow this is where they really uh make those big movies what what am i wasting my time in france for and literally i switched my my thinking Switch right then and there, and then I went back to uh, right after the photos. I went back to Paris for about about two months, I think, just uh, time to pack myself. And uh, I was back in California, trying to pursue acting. Then I realized I didn't speak English, and I was like, "Oh, dang!" <laughs> <laughs> I realized I didn't speak English, and I was like, you know, because of the the urge and the and I also, I was so excited to be in America because, you know, obviously I was looking at Americans, African-Americans, these are my people, you know. I was, you know, deeply, uh, you know, connected in my mind, you know, and uh, excited and uh, moved to uh, Hollywood. And then slowly one of my friends said, well, wait a second, uh, you know, this is one of my model friends uh, from Paris who, came to L.A. for a job, and and so we were having lunch, and I was like, wait a second, so what are you doing here again? Uh, so I said to him that I was uh, pursuing acting, I said, acting in America, and you don't speak English? <laughs> okay, and then he, the next day he brought me a book, Hemingway, which um, one? I, f- I forgot what it was down. Oh. Oh, it's Hemingway about his journey in Europe. I forgot what it's called. Anyways, needless to say that he gave me that book to read and um, to get acquainted with uh, the language. And uh, uh, I didn't really read it. Uh, I sort of started and it started to give me a headache. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you can imagine what it must have been not speaking English. You're in a country where nobody speaks the language you speak, and you must communicate. You don't know anything. You don't know anybody, and you're just sort of like, it's you and that world. And you have, you must, you, you, literally, you must be reborn, right? Because everything you have to, you know, must be learned. So it was a great challenge, you know. Did you go to classes to learn English? I wanted to, I joined uh, the, uh, uh, I think it was called the the Fairfax High School uh, for night, uh, you know, night classes. 
but uh, it, it seemed a little too slow for me because there were just, you know, a lot of uh, uh, other foreigners who just was uh, were still at the stage of uh, uh, you, me, he, and, you know. So I was like, no, 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 no. I must progress fast, you know, I must be, you know, so make all it. I did is just basically I only did one week there and I just thought it was too slow. And so I quit that and uh, just basically spent time watching uh, A&E, uh, Discovery Channel and the Learning Channel. Those were my favorite channel, the History Channel as well. It was great. There was a great, you know, because, this, you know, they spoke beautifully, uh and uh, what they spoke about was quite graphically, uh, you know, sort of shown as well. So uh, eventually, between that and reading, just reading newspapers, just reading anything, whether you understood or not, didn't understand, it, it really didn't matter. Just make the effort of just sitting there for a couple of hours every day, just reading out loud to yourself. And you don't have to understand or comprehend anything about the text. Just read it just to get your word, the word, the verb, articulating. And the more you're saying the words, the more you're looking at the docu documentaries, A&E, Discovery, the Learning Channel. Now, slowly, some of those words are coming back because you're hearing it now in a different context. So your comprehension starts to become, start to develop. And now you think in English? Uh, mostly. <laughs> and now I think in English before I speak in French. Interesting. It's so, now. an amazing long career now leads you to A Quiet Place Part Two, mm -hmm. um, which is an interesting mm -hmm. piece because so much of it is about working in silence. Yes. Right. It's How? great. How's that? Uh, that was uh, quite, you know, uh, amazing for me because, again, uh, uh, I just realized similarly uh, in this story where you're forced to be quiet um, and uh, where you're, the language here is your physicality mixed with emotions, right? And that's really where I came from because that's sort of like uh, my early days of learning and you know, obviously speaking. English was more to study people, body language and, uh, you know, feeling from what, you know, not so much about what they're saying to you, but what you're getting, the vibe you're getting out of it, you know. And that's sort of like uh, how I start to, uh, you know, uh, develop myself here in the beginning. So this film sort of like uh, mimics that a little bit. Uh, but again, the purity of making film, you know, the purity of cinema is really silent films. Mm -hmm. You know. So this really, um, and the essence of uh, 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 this film, speaking of, uh, you know, having such a, uh, a strong uh, social um, uh, relevance with, uh, you know, what's going on today, it's really, it's quite impacting. I think that it's not so much about the creature. I think the, what we're drawn to, it's the, you know, these people, how they socially, uh, you know, engage with one another in such a tragic, uh, you know, moment. It seems like a good fit for you because you have this great physicality about you um, and the way you approach your characters. So to ask you to, <clears throat> to be more quiet, <laughs> I would still think, oh, well, he can handle that because the way that he moves on screen is very powerful. Yeah, but it also I think, you know, obviously, as you know, there's so much power in silence, yes. you know, and that can be so also quite intimidating if you're not used to it. Yeah. yeah. What's um, the difference between a good actor and a great actor? Oh, Wow. Wow, uh, a great actor would uh, oftentimes makes you forget that make you forget the uh, the interpreter. What does eating healthy mean to you? 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Makes you forget the, the interpreter. And depending on what type of, uh, you know, uh, emotionally driven uh, uh, character it is, to make you reflect on your, you know, uh, on your own self, I think. Uh, well, but I also, yeah, it depends. When you, quite often you're asked to play Africans, um, are you generally satisfied? Mm -hmm. Or are we not yet showing Africans as complex as they should be? Oh, we haven't even begun showing Africans as complex as they should be or as they are. No. Mind you, your story have not been told. You, your story have not been told. Anything that has been told about you, it's been a bunch of rhetoric to make you look, uh, you know, not you. Your story hasn't been told. We started to talk about this before, but the responsibility that you feel to your ancestors, both familial in Africa and the actors, the black actors who came before you, what is that? tell you it's a, a specifically uh, tell you what it is other than uh, um, I have kids how many right I have one. How old? He's 10, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, great 10, you know, 10 year boy. But uh, uh, when he was four, he said something that sort of shocked me. And I never thought that, you know, my kid would say something like that. But, you know, he's been playing for. Uh, uh, Spider-Man and all those kind of, uh, you know, uh, characters for a long time. And one day he turns around and looks at me and said, uh, man, uh, I wish I was, uh, he said, I wish I was, uh, let me say specifically how he put it, I wish I was, uh, I want to say, he said, white, 
to climb walls like Spider-Man. He said, I wish I was white so I could climb walls like yeah. Spider-Man? Yeah. What'd you say? Well, that was shocking. Yeah. I didn't have a comeback. So immediately what I did was went to the computer and just started searching for anything that has to do with uh, uh, superheroes that were, you know, some with, uh, you know, color superheroes. You know, that was that. And it's funny to me, it was very strange because for since he's, he was born and started to play with uh, video games, with, uh, you know, uh, watching animations and all that, my sense was like my I, I was feeling like I'm feeding my son a bunch of things that are, he does not that's not necessarily hit home. All of them don't hit home. All of them he does not see himself through most of them. Do you see what I mean? Until that came out and I was I mean, shocked. And so then I was making um we were making I think Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn, and uh, I told the story to James Gunn, and James Gunn went and asked for somebody to send us uh, uh, a comic book of uh, Spider-Man, but this Spider-Man was black. And come to find out that originally the original Spider-Man was actually black. Really. There's a story about that uh, you might want to check. <sighs> you might want to check. What do you want from your career that you haven't gotten yet? Oh, boy. <laughs> what do you want? I mean, I guess the ultimate uh, achievement for an actor is, you know, hopefully to... Uh, you know, go to the Oscars and uh, for have uh, having one of your films being nominated and, uh, you know, of yourself to be nominated and hopefully winning, you know. Two nominations so, I've been, so um, far. Yeah, two nominations so far. Um, and I'm just hoping for the third and uh, hoping to, uh, to take one home one day. That would be beautiful. That's the dream. That is one of the extensions of the dream, but the the ultimate dream is to be able to to reopen the gate of no return, to be um, to have the gate of return, and the gate of return is basically uh, the extended um, souls of Africa being in the diaspora, being Brazil, being Haiti, being Jamaica, being uh, Cuba, for all of them to reconnect with Africa. You want a literal return or you want like a more spiritual reconnection? Spiritual reconnection. For us to feel the diaspora. It's not just for us to feel the diaspora. It's for us to, to reconnect visceral reconnection with the diaspora, meaning whether it's you for you to feel like, oh, I I feel so alive, I want to move back to Africa, it's, it's up to you. Matter of fact, you can move wherever you want to uh, move to. It doesn't necessarily have to be Africa. It doesn't have to be necessarily Europe or, you know, you see what I mean? Um, but it's the visceral reconnection with your DNA. And your DNA is in Africa, not anywhere else. Right. Yeah. So you want you want black people everywhere to feel and know and know Africa that you are is and my know, home. Africa is your home, and Africa is still your home. And your roots. How do you do that? Uh, I've uh, put this. Um, a cultural sports event together called the uh, the Ghetto Return, the Ghetto Return Marathon and Festival, for which uh, you know I uh, 
believe humanity oftentimes come around sports events and music, right? And so the idea is to have uh, this sports event, a marathon, a marathon in which uh, people can run, people can walk it. Uh, you can be young and you can be old and you can still run a marathon. You know, it doesn't really matter. Or you can walk it. Or you can symbolically just show up. So for the triumph over slavery, it is the idea and to heal the wound of slavery, that's the idea, you know. And so the, the sports marathon, it comes with a two-day uh, two festival in which we, uh, you know, celebrate the uh, uh, intergenerational of our African identity. Uh, we uh, celebrate our DNA. We celebrate our, you know, uh, African connection with, uh, you know, whether to be a musically, uh, you know, uh, had to do with uh, culinary, uh, uh, you know, uh, arts and craft, you know, where well, we showcase that for that weekend. But uh, yeah, just for the sake of saying, my DNA is in Africa. That's beautiful. That's an amazing goal. You bring up sports. Do you see? An African nation winning the World Cup in your <laughs> yeah, lifetime? For sure. Yes. Who, which yes. countries would you say more likely? My friend, I see it. I see it very clearly. France would not have won a World Cup if not because of uh, all these African players. True. So that's my answer to you. Well, is there is there a country you're like? There will be a country, and there is a country that would better itself, you know, structurally. You know, and uh, and eventually we win. You know, Ghana was close, Senegal was close, uh, Nigeria is not far. Uh, there's some great, uh, great teams, some great countries that are, you know, uh, they are going to change the narrative definitely, and they are going to make it. Yeah, they have made it for they've they they won it for France. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> yeah, they just don't like the admits that, you know, it's a bunch of Africans who won the cup for them, but uh, it's right. true. Right. It's right. true. Right. It's true. It France is, is a little hypo hypocritical about that, but that's fine. But at the end of the day, those are the boys on the, on, on stage in uh, in Europe, you know, and there's, they go called monkey as well on top of it. I win a cup for you, I'll make you proud. As a nation, but you're still going to, yeah. What is it in you that has led to your massive success? What is your superpower that you sort of do better than other folks? <clears throat> I don't know if, um, or should I say, I feel like the superpower is just the 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 the, the dream we each and I, you know each, each and every one of us uh, sort of like a, you know it, um, generates out there. You know, it's an it's an energy that we put out. You know, and uh, you know, hopes, you know, dreams and hopes that we put out, and. Uh, I'm still striving for those uh, those dreams, you know. So, I, I guess um, what I'm saying is that you have to have your dreams clear. You have to have a direction where you you want to go and where you want to be tomorrow. Because without a clear understanding, it's like a, a you know a beautiful yacht, you know, at sea without a captain. It'll roam around, it'll run, yeah. It'll look amazing until it runs, uh, you know, in circle and hits the wall and then eventually stop. But to have the clear but dream you, is You the have to have a direction for it, yes. You have to have a direction and everything's possible. If you could dream it, then you dream it emotionally, then... 
but sometimes you know some of the the uh, uh, the daily uh, you know interaction with uh, family members, friends, and all that. Those are the people that keeps you away from your dreams. They, with, they don't know they're doing that to you, and you don't know they're doing that to you as well by you know asking too many uh, questions around, and you know as if you're asking for somebody to. Uh, you know, invite you to the dinner table. No, you impose yourself to the dinner table. It's kind of like, a, look at lions eat in a while. No, a lion don't come to a sign and uh, sort of like, uh, can I join in? Can I join in? <laughs> just no, 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 no. Yeah. You jump in and you get uh, uh, torn apart. Um. Africa, we don't understand it fully in America. There's well, you can't you can't understand it fully because again, it was the the goal was for you to not understand it. The goal for us to you know for us even African is not to understand it. Let's start from there. It was not made for you to understand. It was made for you to not understand. Thanks so much to Jimon for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, and Theo Tokus. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>